If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, try talking with one of them in real life. Welcome to Back in America, the podcast. This is Stan Bertolo, and uh, we are on Back in America. I'm a French journalist living in Princeton, New Jersey. And I'm delighted to welcome you all to this live interview. In this podcast, I explore Americans' identity, culture, and values. My guest will join us in just a few minutes. He's a social justice warrior, a social media expert, and a Twitter celebrity, an author, a digital designer, and a proud father of five. And I will add that he is pissed off. He's been upset at the politics of this country since November 8, 2016, and the election of Donald Trump. So upset, in fact, that he decided to change his Twitter handle to Brooklyn Dad Defiant. He rapidly grew his Twitter fans to over 665,000 followers, becoming one of the most popular anti-Trump commentators on Twitter. Brooklyn Dad Defiant has been quoted across the globe, from LOPS in France to Newsweek and CBS in the US. Today, in Back in America, we will try to go beyond the Twitter personal in order to understand who's the man behind the handle. So welcome to Back in America, Majid Padelan. Hi, Stan. Thank you for having me on the show. So before we dive into the world of uh, Twitter and politics, uh, let's go back to your pre-Trump era. You are an art director and you work for big names companies such as uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers Cooper and uh, Ernst & Young, right? You've, okay. uh, I've seen some of your work and they are extremely polished, professional, eye-hand graphic design. At the time you wore suits and ties. <laughs> when did you start to consider yourself an activist? Well, I guess um, I, I guess that would have been 2016. I mean, my my life prior to uh, 11 9 November 9th, the day that we all learned that Donald Trump won the election. Um, my life before that was I was relatively unconcerned with the goings on in the White House and in Congress. I mean, even, I would say, even during the presidency of George W. Bush, you know, I, I, I didn't like the guy, and I definitely didn't like what he did with the Iraq war, but you still got the sense that there was someone relatively competent in the White House, unlike what it is today. And I guess I, I became an activist when I realized that I had a voice that people kind of wanted to hear, uh, people wanted to, to listen to, and more and more people were joining me on this, this journey, this journey of defiance, I guess you could say. On election night, I saw a lot of people in discussion rooms, people that you know I had been talking about. You know, we were planning tweet, tweet storms, and when when they learned that he won, they're like, okay, well, I guess I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pack it in and and hide my head because these trolls are going to come after me. And I was like, what? That's, that's insane. This, this is the time when you, we need to stand up. 
So yeah, that was when I changed it to Brooklyn Dad Defiant. And I didn't, I didn't set out on this road, you know, with the intention of, of being an activist, but I guess that is kind of what, what I turned into because I realized how critical it is that we avoid having this fascist in the White House for another four years. America will be unrecognizable if that happens. When you say you're an activist, I mean, I see yourself as being an anti-Trump. What are your fights? Do you have any other fights? Oh, yeah. So obviously, Black Lives Matter is very, is very important to me because I have three black adult sons. And, you know, I've had the talk with them. The talk is when you tell your young black son that if you are in a police encounter, if, if you are stopped or pulled over by police, you must comply with them. You must not resist. You must be respectful and polite and don't worry about anything else. I will get you out of prison. We will get lawyers. We'll, I cannot replace you. And, you know, it's, it, it's scary. You know, you, when you see other people's children uh, get shot and they were doing nothing, you know, they weren't armed, they weren't being threatening. Uh, it's, it's scary when you realize that could happen to your son just because of the color of his skin. Mm-hmm. So right. that, that is a cause that is, is near and dear to my heart. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Today, how many hours would you say you spend on Twitter? To me, it feels like 24 hours a day, but... <laughs> <laughs> If I had to guess, I'd say somewhere between 12 and 16 hours. Wow, wow. Yeah, there, there are several groups that I have aligned myself with for the purpose of helping elect Joe Biden in November. Not just, not just Joe Biden, but also blue Democratic candidates throughout the country. There's one group called Demcast 14. And Demcast, mm -hmm. Demcast 14 uh, set up a website, Dem Demcast.com. And what it does, it's like a resource center. It helps you uh, find candidates to support financially you know you can make a donation there you can also uh, volunteer your time to like fill out postcards or do a phone bank thing or a uh, text bank or appear at uh, events and and it even has a center that has tweets already set up pre-written tweets that you can just customize yourself and and share and That's really helpful. There's another group called NDLB, No Dem Left Behind. And they focus on getting Democratic candidates elected in rural districts, you know, red rural districts. And these are winnable, but, you know, they don't have a lot of bandwidth. They don't have a lot of visibility. So guys like me who have a pretty large following, it's helpful that I can amplify their Right. Uh, their candidacy and help them to be seen. Uh, mm. Another group, Really American. Really American is a great group that I do consulting for. I help craft the messaging for these awesome videos that we've been putting out that are, it's like a one-two punch uh, at Donald Trump. Uh, it's similar to like the Midas Touch group 
or vote vets or, you know, groups like that, that are producing content that tell the story. Uh, they tell a persuasive story about why Donald Trump is the wrong choice for president and Joe Biden is the right choice. Mm-hmm. Well, I really want to come back to that uh, internet war uh, that that we are creating. And before anything, I mean, I've got a very basic question. Do you think anything positive can come out of all that noise on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think people, first of all, are becoming more aware of issues like since uh, climate change is something that I'm going to be 100% honest. I, I fully support the science that says climate change is real and that climate change is an impending catastrophe on humanity, not just America, but on humanity as a whole. But I didn't really know much about it, despite the fact that guys like Al Gore have been talking about it since 2000, 2001. You know, he's been pushing this. And actually, I also learned that People in America have been concerned with climate change since the, I think the 80s and maybe even the 70s. It's been something that scientists have been tracking and following and and some politicians have been talking about, but these big um, fossil fuel companies have been squashing the noise and keeping it down. Um, but yeah, we we are having discussions This, this whole thing, uh, we are having discussions in social media about things that are very important to everybody, women's choice, um, mm-hmm. you know, healthcare. Healthcare is, is a big thing too. And actually, I learned in the past year how important healthcare is um, because <laughs> in the past year, my wife broke her ankle and sprained another ankle. Uh, my daughter broke her arm. My yeah. son broke his fi- I swear to God, in my whole life, I've never had so many broken limbs in a family in a short period of time. And so at the time, I was still working. I okay, so you were insured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was insured, but I could not afford to put my family on health care under my employer-provided health care. Mm-hmm. It was so expensive. Like I had to choose between between the mortgage and and the healthcare. I had to choose the mortgage because we need a roof over our heads. But um, so I had to come out of pocket for wow. those expenses, and they're not X-ray. Yeah, yeah. there is no safety net in this country. Definitely not. I mean, me coming from Europe, you know, the difference is blatant, right? I mean, yeah. You lose your job, you use, lose your health care. Uh, let me ask you, and I'm sure it's a question that a lot of uh, your followers have. You said you spend most of your day on the internet. You, spend, you are so active with you know, the, the, the political crusade going on at the moment. Where do you make your money? Uh, well, with uh, freelance graphic design, when I can find it, uh, with message consulting. So like I said before, when I do message consulting, You know, that is an actual skill uh, It involves writing. It also involves design. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. then okay. if, if I could, if, if I could really include my book, The Littlest President. I was planning on talking about that. Yeah. So I do you make any make, money? Not, not as, not enough, really not enough to support a family. If you, if you are 
self-publishing a book and you think you're going to get rich unless you get an appearance on like uh, Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon or, um, you know, Trevor Noah's The Daily Show. One of those things where like a bunch of people find out about it all at once, then, yeah, you can we can make some money. But really, it's hard work because I've spent so much time focused on these political issues. It's taken a lot of time away from promoting my so, book. So let's talk really about hard. that. The, the Littlest President, what, what did you try to achieve with that? Why did you write it? The idea came uh, a year ago. Donald Trump was in the middle of a controversy. It was the Ukraine phone call. It's a perfect call. It was a perfect call. You know, and he was tweeting mean tweets towards Adam Schiff, who is in the House of Representatives. And he was calling Adam Schiff Liddle, L-I-D-D-L-E, Liddle, oh, apostrophe, <laughs> Liddle, apostrophe, Adam Schiff. And I thought, I thought it was weird that he kept going back to this. And then it, it started to get funny. And then one day he blew up because CNN dropped the apostrophe. And then on Twitter, he called that apostrophe a hyphen. And I was like, this stuff is... <laughs> too ridiculous to not document it's too ridiculous and i just thought the littlest president would would be like the perfect title for this book and i drew it so i literally made him a little president <laughs> excellent yeah i wanted to make it like a, a children's book because the way he speaks and the way he writes and the way he attacks his enemies is so childish. I thought, okay, so let's let's frame this in uh, a children's book format. So it's it's landscape. It's a hardcover book, and it's got a childlike narrative throughout. But the narrative itself is very true to actual events. It tells the story of how um, a horrible little man. Uh, you know, who was a, 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 a draft dodger, a tax cheat, you know, a horrible dad, how he rose to the highest office in the country. And it tells a story of his inevitable bigly fall. Well, yeah, that, that is still to be seen. But yeah, well, let's move. Let's go back to, to this. Let's go back to the internet and, and what's going on. Yeah. Uh, a Pew Research Center study claimed that 97% of the tweets from U.S. adults that mention national politics came from just 10% of the users. And I'm sure you are one of those 10%. How does that make you feel? And how do you see your role? So I'm a big comic book fan. I, I love comic books and my favorite comic book Uh, character is Spider-Man. And Spider-Man learned in a very hard lesson early on that with great power comes great responsibility. He was given these gifts. He can climb walls and he has super strength and super speed. And despite that, he was unable to save his Uncle Ben because he was being a, a jerk. And so he took that seriously. And I take that seriously too. I realized that not very many people have an audience the size that I have. And I'm not even sure I reach all of them at the same time, but I understand that I have a responsibility to use that audience for good. 
for good. And I think the best good I can do right now is to help not only elect Joe Biden, but elect as many Democratic candidates across the country so that we can give Joe Biden a helpful Congress so he can actually get something done. Let's say if Joe Biden gets in, if he's elected, but he has a Republican-controlled Congress. That means anything he wants to do, he won't get it done because the Congress will just stop him. So we need all of these lower, you know, we need the, the senators, we need representatives, and then we need mayors and governors and all of those folks to help him restore America, help him mm. build back better. I mean, we are in dire straits right now. There's almost 200,000 people have died from COVID and there is still no national plan. He won't agree to a national mask mandate, despite the fact that it's proven Mm -hmm. masks will help prevent the spread of COVID-19. I mean, it's so it's so basic. You don't need, you know, millions and millions of dollars for ventilators and heavy duty medical equipment and all this stuff. If you can just prevent it from spreading. But mm -hmm. instead, he's having rallies with thousands of people, none of them socially distanced, none of them wearing masks. And it's just compounding. It's yeah. compounding the issue that we're that we're having. And then these people, they go back to their communities. I saw something yesterday where it says one person, one person can spread it to 400 people. This guy, you know, he continues to even poke fun at people who are wearing masks. And mm -hmm. it's it's the most irresponsible I've ever seen any national leader in my entire life. I heard you say anger is the best thing to kick out depression. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, anger is uh, can sometimes be a very constructive. And by the way, if I said that, that's not wrong. If somebody is... Uh, If somebody is sitting in their house and they're they're depressed, the best way to get them out of their house is you know throw a, a yeah. throw a brick through their window and watch them get up and start doing something, <laughs> you know. And and Donald Trump was that brick that crashed into all of our windows. Look, I was just I was just happy happily living my life before 2016. You know what I was using Twitter for? Uh -huh. I was I was tweeting about TV shows. I was you know and complaining about the bad ones. Tweeting about movies. Uh, tweeting about businesses that you know, like bad customer service experiences. That's what I was tweeting, and I was probably using Twitter once every once a week, maybe uh -huh. at the most. I, you know, and I was happy doing that. You know, I just said the other day I, I'm starting to really hate politics right because yeah i feel like i'm i am plugged in to this a hundred percent of the time when i wake up uh the first thing i do is i check my phone to see if this idiot has gotten us into a war with anyone yet or if he's been if if he's resigned you know mm -hmm. i'm looking for one of those two things well um Let's talk about Trump. Uh, I don't know if you know, but at the beginning of his time at the White House, Trump was tweeting and retweeting about six, um, 164 tweets per month, right? That number increased to 986 tweets or retweets per month in the recent month. 
Hmm. Uh, that's a five-fold increase, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we know that for Trump, Twitter is a direct link to his voter, and it's also a way to create news coverage. I mean, you, I know you had Trump, but we have to concede that the guy is sort of a master when it comes to using Trump. Would you agree with that? No. No, I think, I think he knows, he's figured out uh, that in order to get the news cycle off of his previous outrage, just to do something a little bit more outrageous and just, and just keep the cycle going. I mean, just a, just a week ago, we were talking about the fact that he admitted to Bob Woodward that he downplayed the virus. A week before that, we were talking about the fact that he called our uh, fallen soldiers suckers and losers, you know. And every week, you know, it's, it's a different outrage. Yeah, I, I've seen people uh, say that, oh, he's brilliant, you know, he's... He's intentionally misspelling these things. I don't think so. There's, there's no, <laughs> there's, there's no um, hidden value to his uh, misspelling things, unless he wants to project the image that he's like, I'm stupid like you guys. If, if that's the message that he is trying to to convey, then maybe, oh yeah, maybe that's that's brilliant. But you know, when I was in school, I was a nerd, right? And there used to be a time when being smart was not cool. But by the time my kids were in school, being smart actually turned into, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if his culture war includes the, the smart folks versus the dumb folks. And we're the dumb folks. And there's more of us than there are of the smart folks. If that's his, his hidden culture war, then yeah, maybe he's brilliant. But um, I, I think it's, a long-term loser, uh, losing strategy. If you were trying to uh, somehow denigrate, it, they call people like myself elites because we're educated. I, I'm sorry, there's nothing wrong with being educated. That's what we want for our children. That is the whole purpose of mm -hmm. trying to shove our kids back into COVID-infested schools because we want to educate them, right? Or is it because schools are now babysitters, so we, the parents, can go back to COVID-infested workplaces where you know we have to sign a we, we have to sign a waiver that if we are infected by COVID, it is not the employer's fault. But education is very important. I just learned today on Twitter that two thirds of America's youth don't even know that the Holocaust killed 6 million Jews. Yeah, they don't know this. Yeah, yeah. I learned this scary. in public school. It's scary. All right. I, I can't get rid of the idea that still, I mean, somehow you sort of play Trump's game. And, and I'm afraid that a lot of people may think that you are polarizing this nation, you know, within two blocks of people just fighting on the internet one against the other. I mean, wh what do you say to people that might think that? Mm, I would disagree. Look, if, if what I say is polarizing, so be it. But you, have to, you do have to pick a side. You do have to pick a side now. This is not somebody who is a regular leader. This is not, this is not a George W. Bush. This is not a Ronald Reagan. It's not a Jimmy Carter. 
It's not a Gerald Ford. This is a guy who has lied 20,000 times. And his most recent, most deadly lie was saying, this is going to go away. COVID-19. COVID-19 disrupted people's lives here in throughout the, the, the planet. What's disrupted everything is the fact that we don't have a national plan because this guy tried to downplay it so that the stock markets wouldn't panic. And he, all he cares about is the stock market. He doesn't care about lives. He doesn't care about saying, it's how difficult would it be to stand in front of the TV and say, look, the most patriotic thing you can do as an American is wear a mask. Mm-hmm. That's the most patriotic thing. And you know what? If, if I'm being polarizing for calling out his lies on a daily basis, so be it. I'll I'll be polarizing. I, right. I don't really care. I feel it's it's that important. I, so, I you know I would much rather I would much rather sit down and enjoy reading my comic books and watch my movies. Seriously, seriously, uh-huh. I would be so happy doing that. That was my life in 2015. Let, let 2015, me be a bit. I wasn't on this at all. A bit controversial here again. I I, I like to get you going and. <laughs> Um, so some people say that, I mean, we're increasingly living online in a, in a filter bubble that only exposes us to the idea that we already agree with. And, and honestly, when I look at your feed and all the comments, yes, you have the occasional troll, but most of the people that subscribe to your Twitter feed, obviously like what you post and like your ideas and agree with you. So. Mm-hmm. Is it achieving anything? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and here's why. Uh, 2016 was when I, um, I was baptized in the, the Twitter waters. And that's when I learned firsthand what was happening. Um, and what was happening in 2016 and what's happening again today is there are a ton of online trolls, Russian bots, you know, produced by bot firms, and they were produced to insert a lot of chaos and confusion. Uh, they were introduced to have us fighting each other. So there were some Russian troll bots that that um, look like me, for instance. You know, that um, pretend to be a, a liberal Democrat, and then there are other Rush, Russian troll bots that look like. Um, conservative Republicans. And they have these things infiltrating and flooding our social media uh, conversations to start up trouble, to start up trouble. So I am that steady, that steady ship uh, navigating through the, the nonsense. If people are coming to my feed to confirm what they already know, that's fine. You know, but I'm not here for that. I'm here to keep folks focused, to keep them motivated, energized, and plugged in. You know, we last in the last election, 2016, we had over 100 million people that did not vote. If my tweet can reach one more person that didn't vote in 2016, I'm already ahead of the game. You know, if I post a tweet that goes viral, and somebody like posts it on Reddit or Facebook or whatever, 
and somebody's like, yeah, that guy makes some sense. He's making some good sense. Then mission accomplished. You know, seen, um, have, have you seen that happen already? Yeah. 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 So I tell have, us about I have, that. Do you have an example? I don't have a specific example. I get people text messaging me and saying, hey, Majid, I saw your tweet on Facebook the other day. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, just this morning, somebody messaged me uh, on Facebook, Facebook Messenger, says, hey, I see you're making an impact. Mm. And this is a guy, let me tell you how random this is. This is a guy that I used to work with at a, um, at a place called ENK International. It's like a fashion trade show company. It was like, that was a, a low point in my graphic design career. <laughs> and this guy, Kevin, this is a guy I hadn't spoken to in probably 10 years. Nice. And I, just out of the blue, he's like, hey, I see you're making an impact. So I, I think it's great. You know, I'm, I'm not only using my Twitter for angry rants. In fact, my, my rants have decreased as my Twitter page, my, my Twitter feed is full of more candidate endorsements, messages for volunteer to be a pollster, you know, to work mm -hmm. the polls, uh, volunteer to do this, donate money for that, you know. Well, I must yeah. say, it, it takes some guts to do what you do. Have you been threatened in online or real life? Yeah, uh, not so much in real life, mostly uh, online. And uh, when, it's, when it looks like a serious threat, I report them to Twitter for whatever good that does. I've been threatened sometimes and Twitter does absolutely nothing. And uh, that's bizarre. Yeah, I've had some people email me uh, nasty things. In fact, on my previous job, I was actually, yeah, so that would be a real life example. Uh, my last job that I lost on March 21st, there were trolls who were emailing the company and saying, your employee, Majid Padelin, is tweeting things that are negative about the president and we don't like it. And if you don't fire him, we're, we're never going to uh, do business with you. And it's weird because I never posted anything about my previous employer on my Twitter. In fact, to this day, I'll talk about my previous employer and I'm this employer. I don't say his name. I don't say the name of the company. Um, they would call up, you know, they would call up the office phone screaming, oh, Brooklyn Dead. So, yeah. I've, and I've and how did your boss, how did your employer react? So he himself was a uh, Trump supporter. Yeah. And I used to walk into his office and he would have Breitbart.com on his on his computer screen. In January of this this year, January, he brought me into the office and he says, you cannot tweet between the hours of 12 midnight and 7 p.m. So mind you, I only worked there from 9.30 to 6.30. And I said, how are you going to tell me I can't tweet during the, I'm not even working yeah. for you during the, those are my own personal hours. That it is what it is, he told me. And he says, and another thing, no more posting about racial issues. I said, you do realize I'm your only black employee, right? Oh you realize that that is an integral part of my life. Well, yeah. you, we can't have it. It's inflammatory. Okay. And he said, no more dropping F-bombs. <laughs> no, And, you know, I never represented myself as his employee on my Twitter, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Did he fire you? Ultimately, yeah, but not as a result of okay. I I adhered to his demands, right? He didn't put it in writing. I learned afterwards if he had put it in writing, I would have had, you know, some kind of legal recourse against him, but he didn't put it in writing, and I think he did that intentionally. Uh, the day that I launched my book, The Littlest President, I got a phone call from him maybe 15 minutes after I finished my live broadcast and he he said we're closing up the shop, go file for unemployment. And um and that was that. Well, I've got a question here from uh, Rebecca Gillespie. What will the, your platform morph into come November 3rd if the landscape changes? What are the plans? Are you involved in other activism? Ah, well, that, that's an excellent question. March 23rd, two days after I lost my job, <clears throat> I started broadcasting a show from Twitter. Uh, or from Periscope, and it's called Storytime with BDD. And originally, I started that uh, as a way to help people, help distract people from the propaganda press briefings that they were having. It was supposed to be about coronavirus, but it turned into anything but. Uh, and so people were like, ah, I'm not going to watch that. I said, okay, watch this. It's a one-hour show where we cover the current events of the previous 24 hours And then in the last 15 minutes, I read a few pages from my book. I've already read this book on the show probably about 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's a fun book. It's really fun. It's available on brooklyndaddefiant.com. Um, so I will most likely keep that show going because I have... I have a community of people who tune in you on do. a daily basis. Uh, it's, it's amazing. You've got hundreds of people tuning yeah. in. And they're friends with each other. Like these are people that came together on the platform that I and, created. And, and what is about now. this ritual you've got at the beginning when you call out everybody? Ah, the roll so that, call. Yeah, that, that's the roll call. People, people like that. I'm basically, I'm just reading the comments on the screen and they tell me their name and where they're from. Deborah Baldini says me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I for the regulars, I have this, you know, um, I have a relationship with a lot of the regular people who show up. And uh, it's it's fun. It's some good feelings. People say, you know what? You are the highlight of my day. I look forward to story time with BDD. I will probably be a lot less active when Joe Biden is elected, I will probably be a lot less active on a daily basis. I, I won't feel that, um, that life or death uh, compulsion to, you know, to keep, to keep things going, to, you know, to keep people energized. Um, but I will still feel the need, like if, for instance, if Mitch McConnell, God forbid, if Mitch McConnell is not defeated, then I will still have a, a purpose on Twitter because he is the worst. He's sitting, Mitch McConnell is the senator, the U.S. senator from the state of Kentucky, and he is sitting on 500 bills that have been passed by the House, and he refuses to even bring them to a vote. And why is he even getting a salary, a paycheck, if he won't bring these issues, these critical issues, to vote? What is election security? How do you have Donald Trump saying that, There are going to be foreign powers 
<laughs> he said there are going to be foreign countries interfering in our election and you won't bring up election security. That is insane. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Of course, you know, he's just saying things. He's, Donald Trump is just. Here's the thing that pisses me off the most about Donald Trump. OK, nobody likes to be lied to. Right. And mm-hmm. when someone is lying to you, when someone's a bad liar and they're lying to you and you know it, it's insulting. It's insulting to your intelligence, right? If you, Stan, if you knew somebody in your personal life and they and you knew for a fact they lied to you three times, just three times, would you want to continue a relationship with them? Of course no, but yeah. I mean, that, that brings the question. How come Trump supporters don't see that? Do they see it? Do they realize he's lying? Do, do they care? There's, there are two... Or do they live in a different reality? Yeah. There are alternate realities, and he has created this bubble where everything that is negative about Donald Trump is fake news. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's fake news. Even if even if his voice is recorded, you know, either through video or audio recording, he'll say that's fake news. And this is where I come back to his usage of Twitter. I mean, the guy got it very quickly that by addressing his public directly without the filter of the press, you know, he could do whatever he wants. In my podcast, which is really trying to understand what is America from my mm. perspective as a, as a European, I ask a very basic question at the end of each of my podcast to my guests. It's what is America to you? Mm. America is my home. Uh, I've been born, I was born here lived here all my life. And I love America. I love the opportunity that I have. I love the freedom that I have. And it's imperfect. It's flawed. There are people from many different backgrounds and many different beliefs, that, and they have many different opinions about it. Some some folks will tell you, oh, if you don't like it, you should leave. But no, I, I believe if you like America, if you love America, And you should be willing to fight for it. You should be willing to fight to make uh, America better. That's not always a conversation that is pleasant or easy, but it's a conversation that has to happen. I used to tell my kids, you know, when they were growing up, if you love somebody, right, if you care about them and they have a booger hanging from their nose, you should tell them. You should tell them. And why did this come up? I think one of the kids might have had a booger hanging from their nose. I said, if I let you walk around with that booger hanging from your nose and everybody else can see it, including me, and I don't tell you, that means I don't love you. That means, you know, even though it's, and the point was, you know, when things are difficult, when it's difficult to tell somebody something and you still tell them, it means you care enough to tell them. So yeah, America, if you don't like what, Brooklyn dad has to say, or us liberals, what we have to say, tough. We're going to say it because we love America too. And we believe that, you know, that America can and should be better. And it's not going to get better if we don't admit that there's a problem that needs to be addressed. Mm. Yeah, right on. I like that. Do you have any books or movies that you would recommend? You? So we are we are currently watching a show called Ozark on 
Netflix, and it stars Jason Bateman. It's fantastic. It's a, basically a story about a, a guy who is a, he launders money, right? So he is an anti-hero. You should not be rooting for him, but yet you are because he faces crisis after crisis after crisis. There's like a, a deadly, dangerous drug dealer who is right on his heels. And he, and then he moves down to Louisiana to, wait, Mississippi? Somewhere down south. Okay. <laughs> he moves down to Ozark. And there's even more danger for him and his family, his wife and his two kids. There's even more danger for them down there. And it kind of feels, so far it kind of feels like, uh, have you ever seen the show Breaking Bad? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah, so it uh-huh. kind of feels like that, except Jason Bateman is a much better Walter White. You know, he's like, he's got ice ice water in his veins. He is, uh, it's a terrific show. I, right. I highly recommend it. Yeah. I would watch it. And Books? the book. Oh, the yeah. How come? I Yeah, I should have thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the littlest president is available on BrooklynDadDefiant.com. Also available on Amazon.com. You got to make sure you spell littlest uh-huh. correctly. You need to make the typo, right? And in the very beginning of the book, you get the end of the story. <laughs> Which is your, your Twitter. Your Twitter image. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Finally, do you think that country will heal? Yeah, I, I think it I think it will heal. And I think I think Joe Biden is the perfect guy to heal it. And I'm not just saying that because I dislike Trump. I'm saying it because Joe Biden is a man full of compassion, is a man who has suffered tremendous loss in his life. You can't heal unless you have a guy at the top, guy or woman, man or woman, who has dealt with loss, who, who has empathy, who has compassion, they have to have those qualities. Yeah, I, I think Joe Biden is a guy who has proven over the length of his career, he's proven the ability to talk across the aisle, as they say. There are people, there are Republicans who like Joe Biden and like and respect Joe Biden. And the the process of healing, it's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be like November 4th, we're going to be healed. And in fact, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. There's going to be a lot of hurt feelings. He's not a guy who's going to be antagonizing the people who didn't vote for him. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Donald Trump has spent the past four hours trolling Democrats and trolling the states that did not support him. He's been he's been, you know, just uh, very wicked and malicious. And Joe Biden is the complete opposite of 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 that persona. So healing, yeah, it will we will heal. Um, I shudder to think what will happen to America if Trump is reelected. I you know that's that's a reality I I don't I don't even want to consider. Right, well, let's stay on this uh, optimistic note. The country will heal. Majid, thank you so much. Thank you so much for making time for Back in America today. And uh, we'll keep on following your adventure online. Thank you for having me. It's been a, a pleasure.